Welcome to the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast, where we make retirement planning easy and enjoyable. Discover practical advice to create a retirement strategy that fits your lifestyle and budget. Get ready for market updates, intriguing finance headlines, book reviews, special guests, and inspiring case studies. So grab your favorite cup of coffee and join us at the table as we talk about everything finance and retirement. We're here to support you in achieving the retirement of your dreams. Let's jump right in. Hey, Dave. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. February 9th as we record this and spring has sprung. Oh. 60 degrees and sunny in Lansing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it, it's June outside in northern Michigan. There's one thing I learned about living in Michigan, though, is early spring usually means like a massive snowstorm is headed your way when right, you don't want it. <laughs> right, right. That and the old uh, the old joke, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just not mosquito season. Yeah. <laughs> we got a great topic today, uh, something you and I have been playing around with a little bit as we look at portfolios. But that is, I guess, the big question for today is when should you make changes your retirement portfolio or should you? Do you need to? Yes. How do yeah. you think about yeah. your retirement portfolio? And obviously on this podcast, we've talked a lot about our investment philosophy of being long-term right. investors, not market timing, but are there times or reasons that you should be changing your portfolio and how to think about that? So what say you, Mr. Shotwell? This is timely for us too, right? Because we just mm-hmm. this week, with the help of uh, Mario and Eric at East Bay, our portfolio consultants, made an allocation change. Yep. And and that's rare for us. And I've I've yeah. joked with a few clients this week. They like like we're excited to actually get to say, hey, not only do we look <laughs> at look at our models every month, this time we actually instituted a right. change. We're doing something. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, we've changed, we've changed um, the individual funds that we use to implement yep. our allocation. Mm-hmm. A f- a, you know, we've made a few changes over the last year or so, but it's been right. a while since, since we actually went in and said, okay, we want to change the allocations a little bit. Let's back up a little bit and explain like fund changes versus allocation changes. Right. Like, why right. are we changing so, a fund? What's the purpose behind that? So think about portfolio analysis on two levels. One mm-hmm. being allocation. That's how much yep. you have in stocks versus bonds, or in the case that we're going to get into the details of here a little bit, the subclasses of different types of bonds, different types of stocks, emerging markets versus U.S. small cap stocks, those kind of yep. decisions. and. Mm-hmm. Studies have shown, you know, analysis of portfolios in the stock market show that that drives like 90% of your outcome. And I forget the exact numbers, like 91, 92%, something like that. Vanguard and some other firms have studied it ad nauseum. But, you know, we get we get all hung up on like which mutual fund is the best or which stock or which bond is the best. What really drives long-term, most of the long-term outcome is how much you put in stocks, how much you put in bonds. And then, and then the the, the sub asset classes add another layer of that. So that's that's one level of analysis. Then the second level of analysis is okay. You've decided you want in your particular portfolio ten percent to be in emerging market stocks. What's the best yep. fund for emerging markets? Right. You know, mm-hmm. and there we're looking at internal expenses and how it matches its benchmark. And you know, we have this matrix we go through of 
what's okay, we want 10% in emerging markets. What do we think the best choice for that is right now? If you think about it on those two distinct levels, what we're talking about today is the first level, the asset allocation, not the mm-hmm. implementation, which fund to right. choose. So, yep. so what we, what we changed this week is how much we have in short term bonds relative to intermediate term bonds. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so we've kept more money in short term bonds over the last few years because interest rates were really low and only had one direction they could go until last mm-hmm. year. And when interest rates are low and they can only go up, rising interest rates are bad for bond prices and push them down. And the longer the bonds are in term, how far into the future they mature, the more they're affected by that. Short-term bonds don't move down as much when interest rates go up. Intermediate-term bonds, which are you know, intermediate in nature, meaning mm-hmm. they're, they're not short, they're out there a few years, but they're not super long-term either. Uh, the range is you know, between three and 10 usually. Those move a little more than short-term bonds. But they also pay you more interest while you hold them. Now that interest rates are higher. But now we're back to a more normal interest rate environment where interest rates could go down from here. In fact, everybody's mm-hmm. kind of expecting them to, which pushes bond prices up and intermediate term mm-hmm. bonds respond to that more than short term bonds. And also intermediate term bonds are now paying us a reasonable amount of interest to hold them. So we took half of our extra weight in short term bonds and moved that back to intermediate bonds. So what, what kind of teed off our conversation here for today is not just the technicalities of what we just did, but like, how is that different from our philosophy against market timing? Right. Because on the surface, it sounds like we're timing the market and we're trying to you know, make a decision based on what's happening now. But walk us through like that decision process well, and how we think about that. What we're looking at here is what we consider a long-term kind of structural change in the market. Interest Mm. rates were low for a very long time. Now they're back to a more normal state. We don't know. I I guess the distinction is this. Timing the market would be saying, okay, we think the Fed is going to lower rates substantially by next January. So we're going to push a whole bunch of extra money into intermediate term or longer term bonds to take advantage of that. And then we're going to shift back. That's market timing. And, and, mm-hmm. and like the, the stock market corollary would be, okay, we think that, you know, small company stocks are going to be the next hot spot in the market. So we're going to put extra weight there temporarily to take advantage of that. That's market yep. time. This is instead looking at a big structural change in the market, not trying to guess what the Fed's going to do today, tomorrow, you know, next month, next quarter, next year, but saying it can move either way now. And the structure of the market has fundamentally changed the risk reward relationship. Uh, A couple of things to point out there that you said. One is, you know, we're looking at when we're making a change like this, we're looking at the long-term structural, right? We're long-term investors. And so we're matching up our asset allocation with our long-term goals versus trying to, you know, go in and out based on short-term theories of what may or may not happen and focusing on the short-term. When we're making decisions like this, it's always about what's going to happen long-term because that's why we're investing, right? 
The Fed can go either way. Interest rates can move either way over the next couple of years. And we're still going to feel pretty good about this decision, I think, because if the if interest rates do go up from here, yes, it hurts us a little bit more, but we're being paid more interest now too. So we've like weighed that in, like what's the, you know, how could this move? What could happen? And it's structural. It's, it's a different kind of dynamic than just trying to time what's going to happen next. So the, I think it, it also begs the question, like what, what would be like the stock market corollary of that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so like when, when would you change how much you have in large company value stocks compared to large company growth stocks? And it's a little more nuanced because, you know, the income and different things kind of offset some, some change risk in, in bonds. But it's the same kind of like what are the structural changes in the market that might cause that? Are you feeling overwhelmed when it comes to planning for your retirement? Do you want simple, relatable information you can use today to plan for tomorrow? Check out the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast, hosted by Dave and Nick, certified financial planners with Shotwell Rudder Bear Financial Planners. They make retirement planning easy and enjoyable. Discover practical advice to create a retirement strategy that fits your lifestyle and budget. Get ready for market updates, intriguing finance headlines, book reviews, special guests, and inspiring case studies. So grab your favorite cup of coffee and join them at the table as they talk about everything finance and retirement. Go to srbadvisors.com or search for Kitchen Table Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, we talked to Mario about this, not that we're, we're looking to make any of those changes right now, but like what would, what would spur that if, if, so we have, you know, more to talk about today, right? You know, he was talking about how like one thing, one example of a structural change would be that, you know, when we build a portfolio, we look at how, like you start with the all country world index kind of is your base. That's like looking at all the stocks all over the world. And then you look at like, okay, what percentage of that is U.S. stocks? And so how much in your portfolio do you want to have in U.S. stocks versus international stocks? We can be overweight one way or the other a little bit, but we want to be, you know, within a particular range of that or have a good reason not to be. But that changes over time as the markets evolve. And so like, like how that the constitution of the all cap world index, all country world index might influence like how we want to change our portfolio allocations over time. And then the other thing is valuations being something that now we're not changing like every quarter, like this is overvalued, that's undervalued. But if we started to see like structural changes where certain things were way undervalued for a long time, that might lead us to overweight those asset classes in the future or at least consider it. You know, anytime you make a move in the market, you know, like say say we decided we needed to adjust our international exposure down and add more to domestic dispo- exposure for the reasons we just talked about, then it asks then it begs the question what do you do with that? Right? Where do you add that money? Right. So you've yeah. always got to be you've always got to be considering that side of the equation too. If you think about portfolio and portfolio construction, 
you know, we talk about all the time on this podcast too, but a lot of it is like fighting your own instincts, right? Like one of the hardest thing to do in investing is not do anything, even though, you know, if you, if you look at the news or if you read any of this stuff, like, especially right now, if you look at like us stock performance, you look at the S and P 500, you look at large cap growth, you look at, you know, what's going on with, you know, the tech sector of the market, like, yeah. Everything is screaming. These things are, you know, going crazy and maybe I should overweight it. And there's that emotion behind it. And some of the hardest right. things to do is to not make those changes, right? Don't let fear of missing out drive your portfolio changes, right? Don't right. let, and, and just try to remember that instinctually we're programmed to want to take action. And that in in the normal world, is a normal response based on evolution. That's why we feel that way. But when it comes to the markets, that usually gets you in trouble. You'll end up, it's going to put you in a position where, long story short, you're going to end up buying things just as they're peaking and, and then you're, then you're, you're riding them down and one and, and losing money, you know, relatively to where you were. And then you're going to want to make the same mistake again to correct it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, you, you, you lead yourself around in a circle and, mm-hmm. and you just need to create a discipline and, uh, and stick to it. And when you do make changes, consider what if I'm wrong? What, you know, what, what if this doesn't work out in the short run, doesn't work out in the long run? How does that play out? Like I said, it's a difficult thing to do right now. You know, we're going into our review season with our clients and, you know, portfolio performance when you compare, you know, depending on what you're comparing it to, which is probably a whole different podcast, like how to compare your portfolio, how to index, index, like what should you actually be looking at? Because the only thing you see on the news or if you pull up the Wall Street Journal is usually the S&P 500, the Dow, the NASDAQ and those for 99% of people are not good proxies for what your portfolio should actually be doing. Neither is your um, cubicle mates portfolio, (laughs) you know, as, uh, as, as our, as our, the author that we, we quote often, uh, Morgan Housel would say, you're probably not playing the same game. So don't try to play by the same rules. And your cubicle mate is probably only telling you about the things that are probably not <laughs> yeah, telling you oh. about the bad bet he made. The bad bets he made either. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I used to. I, this used to come up more often. But a, uh, a prospect or somebody you meet randomly would find out you're in you're in financial planning and investing, and would would want to tell you about their their latest great stock or something their son had bought. And it's like, okay, great, but tell me tell me about your three worst. That's right. what I want to hear about, and not not to be insulting, but that's where we're going to learn lessons, right? Don't tell me mm-hmm. about the one you got right. Tell me about the three or four you got wrong and what you learned from it. And sometimes you get forthright answers. I've got a, a few people I talk to regularly that have have made errors and are are more than happy to to talk about what they learned from it. But that's 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 part and parcel, right? Before we close today, do you want to talk about how rebalancing might play into this? Well, yeah, you know, back to the idea of valuations and changes in the portfolio, you know, one of the things we do regularly with our models is rebalance back to our targets. So Mm -hmm. when we see relative valuation changes in different subclasses of stocks, like if our core 
large company stock holding goes up because of the, um, you know, the magnificent seven that everybody's talking about lately, the big tech stocks that have been driving the market and our value part of our portfolio is now lower. When we rebalance quarterly, we're automatically taking those things that have gone up in value and are now more expensive and buying the things that we know will come back at a low, that are at a lower price now. Right. So, yep. so that instills some of that discipline, and that's part of why we don't um, necessarily need to make allocation changes very often because mm-hmm. we're already taking advantage of the market ups, ups and downs along the way. Yeah, rebalancing is one of those, you know, very easy things that you can do. I mean, most, you know, whether you're in your your four hundred one k or, you know, most a lot of these these technologies now allow you to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. But it is that you know yeah. it forces you to buy low and sell high, which right. is you know right. always going to be a win. Well, and 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 a lot of folks now in their four hundred one ks and four hundred three bs are using target date funds, what we call fund yep. of funds, right? And under the mm-hmm. cover of those things, the managers of those portfolios are automatically rebalancing regularly as right. money flows in. That takes advantage of the same thing. So, kind of to wrap this up, too, though, is to note that what we're talking here is kind of like after you've already decided the risk level of your portfolio. Yes. And and we've we've kind of we've outlined, you know, for a future topic here in a couple of weeks when to change risk levels in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because that's that so so I talked about there being two levels of analysis. There's actually a a a, a 1A that goes before the one, the 1B that I mentioned and that's how much risk should you be taking? Because right. that determines your allocation. We'll get into that a little bit more in a in another another recording. But how much on a on a high level, that's how much you should have in cash, stocks, and bonds relative to each other, right. and how that changes yeah. over your lifetime. It's a great teaser, Dave. There you go. I'm all about <laughs> teeing up the next one. Stay tuned. I love it. Uh, (laughs) If our (laughs) listeners have any questions on uh, retirement portfolios, please reach out to us at info at srbadvisors.com. Dave, as always, it has been a pleasure. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.